Amen. If you would stand with me for prayer and then the reading of a portion of that book. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us. Now, Father, do come and add a blessing to Your Word and only Your Word. Make its truth knowable. Lord, cause us to embrace it and receive it as Your truth. Enhance our lives, Lord, with the reality uh, that we live under Your sovereignty. Lord, we live under Your banner of truth. We live in Your covenant of grace. And Lord, help us as Your children, as Your people, those who profess to know You and abide according to Your Word, Lord, help us learn how to live in a way that is becoming of a Christian. And Lord, that we shall bless Your name, that we shall give thanks and praise to You all the days of our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, beloved, I want to read a portion of chapter 1. Hear the Word of God, the book of James, beginning at verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, last week we established a very important principle of true religion, and that is the reality of servitude. We must, as as professing believers have the mindset and attitude of service, loyalty. Our confidence is in our master and not ourselves. That we as professing believers understand that our profession of faith involves the, the, the whole person. It's not just some... Uh, speech or or idea that we give allegiance to, that we not only profess to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that profession of faith belongs service. It belongs a servitude. It belongs a mentality that He is our Master and we are His servants. Now, if you don't start there on true religion, you're going to miss out on everything. 
And that's the very first, that's the fundamental question we asked ourselves last week. Who do I serve? The question isn't, am I a servant? We are all servants of something, of someone. The real question is, who do I serve? Now, the passage I read out of Deuteronomy 8 and what I just read out of James chapter 1 ought to teach us that you will know who you serve by whom you obey. Your obedience, how you live your life, will be an indication of who or what you serve. There's, that's it. If we are the true servants of God our Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are also confessing that we are walking according to His commandments and in the light of His revelation. And to say that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God the Father and not obey His Word is a contradiction. It's inconsistent. And it proves that you are not the servant of the living God. This morning we enter upon another plank or truth of this undefiled religion that James speaks of in chapter 1 and that is the the truth and reality of brotherhood or community look there with me at verse 2 and notice where James starts this um this this sequence of helping us understand as Christians what's going on in our lives notice in verse 2 he says consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Here when James calls us brethren, it's more than just an, a, a nomenclature of, of uh, some type of allegiance or unity you know we can call each other brothers because we live in Macon Georgia a brother or we're American citizens or we share some political um, you know ideas but that's not what James is doing here when James uses the word brethren it's a more intimate he has in mind a more intimate reality It's, a, it's a, a more intimate bond that he is recognizing and identifying with the community of faith. This is my brethren. My family. This is an a, a, a intimate society of people that all share in the blood of Christ, in the covenant of grace, share in the communion of the Holy Spirit. It's designed to point out this intimacy and this, this commonality that we all have and share with one another. Now I can just mention a couple of them up front and that is certainly the commonality of our faith. Brethren. Being identified as a, a believer, as one who trusts in Jesus Christ. 
One who is a servant of the living God and of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is identified with the triune and living God. The God who is one and three. Now see, that's something we need to mention today because of the rise in popularity of those false religions like Islam. Who, does, who, who do not confess that God is Trinity. Of the Jehovah Witnesses that do not confess that God is Trinity. Of Mormonism who do not confess that God is Trinity. These are religions, if you will, false religions that are on the rise today in our own midst. And they can say, we are brethren because we too confess God. But brothers and sisters, I, I, I implore you to remember what, John, what James is saying here. And that is, we are the ones who have put our faith in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. A God who is both one and three. Three and one. It's an intimate communion. We not only share a common faith, but brothers and sisters, believe it or not, we share common experiences, and that's what this is about. We share common experiences. The things that we experience in the 21st century, though they are coming a, a different environment, are the very same things that men and women experienced in the first century. And the centuries before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about Moses. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Moses came at a point in time in his life where he had to ponder and consider his Hebrew heritage, his covenant before God, and his life as an Egyptian. He had to consider which one held greater value, which one would he serve. Meaning that Moses had to come to a point and place in his life where he had to choose his God. And go back to last week's sermon, right? And the book of Hebrews tells us that he contemplated that the sufferings of the Hebrews was nothing compared to the riches and the glory that he would receive with the true and living God. That, that yes, he could live as a prince in Egypt or he could live as a suffering servant of the Hebrew people and receive the glorious inheritance, all that God had promised him. And he considered these things and he made a choice and he made a decision that he would suffer with God's people and be called a, a believer in the true and living God rather than, the, than experience the pleasures of life as an Egyptian prince. Common experience. Your life is filled with choices, isn't it? We make choices every day. Now, not every choice we make is that dramatic or that important. But yet, we make choices every day about who we will live for, who we will serve, how we will, how we will be understood, how we will be seen. How, all of these things matter. 
You think about the Apostle Paul and the common the commonality we share with him that he was apostle, a very uh, a great man. The Scriptures sets forth the the work of the Apostle Paul, and he's one who's worthy of many accolades. But nevertheless, he was a man who was common to all of us because he too suffered for the sake of Christ. You can go and read what he wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, listen, there was a a thorn in my own flesh given to me by the Lord that I might be and remain humble. And I went to the Lord and I prayed and I said, Lord, take this from me. And and the Lord denied his prayer at least on three different occasions. It says, no, Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. What do we see here? This, this commonality of, of suffering and service and, and submission to the Lord, right? That's what James means when he... This is what James is talking about when he begins to talk about this, this, this commonality, this, this community, this brethren. Why is it important for us to, to be reminded of this community? This communion we have with one another. Well, well, brothers and sisters, because of our pride. See, we love to believe that whatever we're going through is unlike in what anybody else has ever went through. That's, am I wrong? We want to believe that our troubles are, they're just, they're more troublesome than other people's troubles. Our troubles give us an excuse not to obey God. Hmm? Yeah, yours is different than mine. I, my troubles are unique. And we love to believe that about ourselves, you see. And it's important that we remember that we have all share a common experience together. That's why, if you will, look with me in your Bibles. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see this yourself. I want you to know where it is in your Bibles. I want you to put your eyes on it. Because, you know, you can read about these failures in the Old Testament and and one thing that you may have thought at some point in time is, oh, I would never forsake the Lord. Oh, I would never disobey God. Oh, I would never not believe God's promises. I wouldn't be like those spies who went into the land and exhibited all that. I would never, ever be like them. The same thing that Peter suffered from. Lord, I'd never deny you. Not me, Lord. Who would be? Where's the? Where's he at, Lord? And the Lord Jesus looked right at Peter and said, Peter, I tell you, it's you. And Peter still didn't believe him. But look at 1 Corinthians 10. Notice verse 12 says, Therefore, now look at verse 11. Now these things, talking about what happened in the Old Testament, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him or she who stands... Or let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as what? Common to man. That God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 
but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Now what does that verse tell us? That verse tells us that everything that we experience is common to all men. Every temptation to sin is common to all people. And that's why we must be careful when we begin to exalt ourselves and say, Oh, I would never do that. Lord, I'm not like those Christians. Or I'm not like those people. You know, our church isn't like that church. We're better. When James uses this term brethren, he is wanting us to identify with this, this community of faith, this community of experience. Well, let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. If you're going to isolate yourself and separate yourself from this community of faith, this communion of grace, how are you going to, how are you going to learn anything? If you can't look at the people that have walked through difficult times and hard temptations and and see what God approved of with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how God approved of Moses' actions, if you're not going, if you're going to isolate yourself from that, how are you going to learn anything? See, you're not. Now, brothers and sisters, we as God's children are certainly subject to many hardships and temptations. That's the point of James. You have the book of James, you have First and Second Peter, you have the book of Hebrews, all addressing the particular suffering of the Hebrews. You can read all these books and you can see the tapestry of wisdom that, that is intended to be gleaned as you read these books and how to, un, how to address and understand and walk through difficult and hard times. Hardships, difficulties. Now, brothers and sisters, this particular trial that James is referring to and speaking about is not is not the trial that comes when we make decisions that are I'm going to sound uncouth here just dumb decisions you know you make a dumb decision you know don't be surprised when it doesn't turn out right right we're not talking about those kinds of decisions you know where you're gambling yeah, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to do it anyway. I know I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's, that's dumb. Because there's a lot of wisdom that's pointing to how dumb it is. And you're just neglecting it. But we're talking about things that we fall into. We're talking about things that happen to us. That are unbeknownst to us. That is, they just come up. Right? Um... What kind of things? Well, let me just mention a couple of them that might be helpful to you. The first one is very personal. You know, it's, it's that moment where you are, have experienced sort of this, this euphoria of faithfulness. I mean, you've been praying. You've been, you've been being more diligent in your prayers than you've been in a long time. You've been reading your Bible. I mean, you've really been spending a lot of mental devotion with the Lord. You've really been meditating in the heart. You really are cultivating some godly habits. You've been active in helping others. You've been, you've been active in displaying your love for others. I mean, you've been an encouragement in the body. And, and, and there's, it's been a season of that. And you are just, 
in one sense, and I mean this, so very, very proud of where you have come as a Christian man and woman. But see, then all of a sudden, you have this, this glorious time and, of worship and you go home and somebody makes you angry. And you say things that haven't come out of your mouth in a long time. And you think thoughts, vile thoughts, dark thoughts. And it's that moment where you sit here and you go, what has happened to me? And you've just fallen into a trial. You have just been overtaken in this temptation. And there's a test here. So that's a personal level. I don't know if you've been there. I, I, I think we share in these common things. It's like, you know, I thought I, was so, I thought I was further along than that. I thought I was stronger than that. I thought I was more gracious than that. I didn't realize I was that vindictive. I didn't realize I was that vengeful. I just didn't realize I could be that hateful. I thought I had been sanctified beyond those things. But, but God has just shown me that I am subject to all of it. It can be that way in parenting. A parent can be praising God for their children. Oh God, I thank you that I don't have to experience all the things I see on Facebook. When I see the problems with children, I see the waywardness of children. I see the rejection of church from children. And Lord, I just thank you that my children aren't like that. Then all of a sudden there's this moment or season where where the children are tempted to do what? Be their own person. Not in a positive way, but I mean in a very negative way. And then you're tempted to respond in ungodliness. Instead of it being a teaching moment, it becomes a a moment of force and of anger and of disappointment. And the parent doesn't exhibit grace and kindness and instruction. The parent exhibits anger because you're an embarrassment. How dare you embarrass me? How dare you be like those other children? I've raised you. I've spent all this time with you. I've done all these things. And look how you treat me. Brothers and sisters, that's a failure. That's a failure to act as becometh of a, of a Christian parent to say, listen, let's talk about these things. Let's talk about God's grace. Let's talk about the benefits of this life that you live. Let's weigh these things out. Remember, what does wisdom do? Wisdom is able to discern between this and that, right? How will our children ever learn how to be discerning if we don't display it for them? If we don't talk about these things. See, it's easier, you know, often we fall into that what? Anger. I'm going to move you with anger rather than wisdom and grace. What about our marriages, right? Our marriages are very similar to that, right? We become more insensitive to, the, to God's prescription of how things ought to be. And we isolate ourselves and just become, well, this is how it is. When we think, right, we think everything is fine because there's peace. But yet, you have to ask yourself the question, is my inner man glorifying God by the way we think? Is my 
parenting glorifying God by the direction and discernment we give? Is my marriage glorifying God? You know, listen, why is it more people are divorcing today that's been married for 30 and 40 years? It used to be the newer, it used to be the newlyweds. It's not the newlyweds anymore. It's people that have been married for 30 and 40 years deciding that it's time to, you know, live life up a little bit. How does that happen? I think James helps us with the answer to that. I think that's what he's talking about here. The first thing that James wants to do is create in us this, this mindset of community, this communion that we all have with one another. That is, brothers and sisters, that we all share in common temptations and failures. We share in this testing of the faith. That is, we are all in some way or another being, if you will, tried. Do you believe that? being tried and guess what you young people are being tried God doesn't just say I'm going to wait till you get out of college to test you you've been tested all along the way you've been tested on whether or not you're going to think as a Christian student or not and it doesn't matter if you're in a Christian school or not there's a lot of ungodliness in a lot of places and there's a lot of ungodliness in Christian schools there's a lot of ungodliness in home schools there's a lot of ungodliness everywhere So the question is going to be, how do we understand this community? How do we understand this communion that we all share? Well, first of all, notice just a couple things that I want to bring out. That if we embrace this idea of communion and community, then we ought to not be surprised when we fall into trials, but also when our brothers and sisters fall into trials, right? Because it's, it's telling, isn't it, how we treat our trials, how we view and treat our trials versus how we see our neighbor's trials. We're a lot harsher and way more critical of others than we are ourselves. Amen? Because again, ours are different, right? Ours, our trials and temptations pose unique Uh, a a uniqueness that others really don't understand. And that's a a sinful thing to do. And that's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you to think you're unique and special in all of this versus seeing the commonality and able to to relate to the the faithful in Scripture and say, you know what, there I am. That's me. I failed. I'm like Abraham. I'm like Moses. I'm like Paul. I'm like David. I failed here. I need to repent of my sins. I, I I need wisdom. I need to ask God for it. I need to trust Him for it. And I need to walk with God's people in this community of faith and these common experiences. I'm not special. I'm not special. When we embrace this understanding, or when we embrace this truth rather, then we will become more understanding and patient with others. Yes. 
We will become more understanding and patience with others as they walk through their temptation and trials, as they deal with the things of life that has been put in their lives. We will also be patient and understanding with them because that's exactly what we would want done about us and done for us. It's the golden rule, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to learn to put away that critical and harsh spirit when it comes to the failures of others and not ourselves. We need to put on understanding and realize that the trials and temptations of life are common to all men and not just one group over another. We need to develop patience. Patience. Not only must we cultivate patience and endurance ourselves, as you see right there in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, this patience, another word for patience, but it also ought to make us more patient with others as well. Just as we've learned things about ourselves in our own personal and family and church trials, so we too ought to be able to apply that to others and be patient with them as well. Simply put, brothers and sisters, we need to avoid hypocrisy. We need to avoid hypocrisy. We need to avoid being guilty of critically judging others and not being critical to ourselves. Right? We're lenient when it comes to ourselves. We're like, we're like Peter, right? I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ looked him in the face and said, Peter, it's you. Before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. He still didn't get it. He could not fathom. He could not fathom. That he would deny the Lord. He could not embrace it. He just could not consider such a thing. And that was his failure. His failure was he couldn't receive the word of God. Because he failed to know who he really was. And brothers and sisters. That's. That's us in so many different circumstances, isn't it? We don't want to be guilty of condemning our own consciences. Why? Because our own consciences always tell us who we really are. And when we're hypocritical, when we, are, when we tend to be harsher to others than we are ourselves, or lenient with those that we like, Right? I like you, so I'm going to be lenient, but I'm going to be very strict and critical to this person because I don't like them. That's prejudice. That's favoritism. James condemns favoritism. What does he talk? He condemns this favoritism that's obvious with the rich and the poor man. What does the Bible tell us? The book of Proverbs says the rich have many friends. <laughs> the poor man, not so many. Who wants to be the poor man's friend? He doesn't offer anything. He has nothing to offer. Who wants to be his friend? 
This kind of hypocrisy condemns our consciences because in our consciences we know that we are not as good as we think we are. We know that. We're not as faithful as we want others to think we are. Isn't that part of the sin and the hypocrisy that we want others to think better of us than we really know we are? It's a self-righteous thinking, isn't it? These, these, this idea that there are sins that we could never, ever in, in, in a thousand lifetimes be guilty of. That's the same thing the Pharisees suffer from. Not us. Not us. We would never do such a thing. And their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness was loathing in the nostrils of God. I want you to think about, brothers and sisters, those things that you could say I'd never do. And I want you to think of other people that have done them. And you know what? Many of those people said the same thing. I would never do that. I'd never leave the church. They left the church. I'd never divorce my, my spouse. They divorced their spouse. I would never... I would never mistreat my children and they mistreat their children. I would never steal and yet they steal. We must, brothers and sisters, embrace this idea of community and commonality, particularly as it relates to our need for wisdom. And that's where James is going, and, I, and we're going to get there. But, but, but I want you to see the continuity. I want you to understand that, that this is where James is taking us in wisdom, because that's what the whole, that's what real, true, undefiled religion is, right? Being able to discern and exercise wisdom, being able to what, feed the needy, help the needy. The, the, those who are not in need don't need your help, but yet... We're there for them because they can do something for us. The orphan can do nothing for you. The widow can do nothing for you. They don't have people listening to them. I mean, if the orphan says, oh, so-and-so is a great godly person, who cares what they think? They're orphans. They're, they're, they're widows. They don't nobody care what they think. They don't have a platform. It's better to help those with the platform, right? So they can give you all the accolades and then everybody else will appreciate you as well. See, that's exactly what James is destroying here. James is bringing us all down to this common, common relationship and experience that we are all being tested in so many different ways. We all fall into these pitfalls and these trials, all different kinds, all different types, some big, some small. Some serious, some not so serious. And we're all being challenged and tested. I want to give you a common excuse I hear a lot. And I think many of us are guilty of it. All of us are guilty of it. You know, when someone asks you, how are you doing in your prayer life? How are you doing in your Bible reading? How are you doing in your scripture memory? How are you doing serving the Lord? A common reply is, well, I can always, you finish it, 
do. I can always do more. I can always do better. The problem with that is that's become the catch-all statement of not doing anything. Because it's true. It is true. We can always do a little more. We can always do a little better. But we use that to do nothing. And that's, James doesn't go there. In fact, what does James say in chapter 1? He says, listen, follow along with me. He says, look at verse 19. He says, you know, my beloved brethren, anyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And I'm not going to go on and read it. But what I'm telling you is James says, listen, you've got to take the step. You, can no long, you can't just always say, I can do better. Are you, are you doing anything? Because oftentimes we want people to think we're doing something when we're not doing anything. That's hypocrisy. That's a temptation. The temptation is I want you to think more highly of me than I really am. And James says, be a doer of the word. Don't just listen to it. Don't just, don't just hear it. Put your mind, your heart, put your hands into actions. What you hear, put into practice. Be doers of the word. Because here's what James, here's the wisdom James has from heaven. If you don't put it into practice, then you've only deceived yourself. If you're hearers only, and you can say, hey, I can talk to you about what the pastor preached. I can talk to you about what the Bible says about any given subject. But you don't practice any of it, deceived. Deceived. Deluded. You will, listen, you will reap exactly what your true faith is in the very end. Your faith is nothing, and you will reap nothing. That's wisdom. You reap what you sow. That's a motivation and principle to do what? Discern between this and that. It's incumbent on me to work on this. To spend time on this rather than that. Because this will yield the greater fruit. And inheritance. Let me give you another example. Look at what James says in chapter 1. And this is what he says even to the, to the rich man and to the poor man. He says in verse 9, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. Now, let me, let me share with you what he's saying here. He says like the rich man is to glory in his humble circumstances. What's his humble circumstances? His common experience as a man. He's going to die. The rich man shares the same common experiences as the poor man. He breathes air. He puts his pants and clothes on just like the poor man does. He's accountable to God just like the poor man's accountable to God. And all men are going to give an account to God. And guess what? They're both going to die. Though he's been blessed with all of these outward blessings, he is one of humble circumstances. His flesh is decaying just like your flesh is decaying. He wakes up in pains and aches, short of breath, his heart palpitates, his legs hurt, his shoulder hurts. He wakes up with the same ailments and age. Hey, his birthday comes every year too. 
He's to glory in his humility. He's not to that wisdom. The rich man, if he's wise, what does he do? He doesn't glory in his external riches. He glories in the fact that he's made in the image of God and he's a creation of God and that he too has a destiny. Where will he spend eternity? Will he spend it in the comfortable presence of God? Or will he spend it away from the comfortable presence of God in hell forever because he rejected the true and living God? That's the reality. But they're all going to die. They're all going, and, 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 and something's going to get you. Either old age is going to overtake you or a disease. Hey, cancer, doesn't matter who you are. Disease, doesn't matter. Arthritis don't just come to the poor. It comes to everybody. All these things, common experiences. The rich man is to be able to discern between what's valuable and truly necessary. The rule that governs this, obviously, is the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. This rule binds all men to one another, especially, especially it's binding upon those who are called by James, brethren. Brethren. How we love one another. It's important for us, brothers and sisters, to be careful in our judgments of others when they face and go through serious trials and temptations. It's incumbent for us to be gracious and merciful. Not naive. Not naive. That's not what I'm calling for. The Scriptures doesn't call us to be naive, but it calls us to be merciful. It calls us to be kind. It calls us to be discerning. You know what? Marriage troubles comes to every marriage. Hmm? You know what they say, that, that, that three years, you know, you hit that three-year mark, and really it starts kind of unfolding, doesn't it? You know the whole term, the honeymoon's over? Man, when the honeymoon's over, it's over. I mean, and then it becomes work. But here's the question. The question is, even in the work that is put into it, will it be a work of God or a work of man? Right? Will it be a marriage that blesses and pleases God or just will it be a marriage? Right? It can be a church relationship. I mean, I'm using those things that we common, that are common to us, right? Our church relationships... We must be careful of holding others more accountable than we hold ourselves. And I'm not saying not hold each other accountable. We learned that in the book of Thessalonians, didn't we? That we are to hold each other accountable. But my brothers and sisters, listen to me. Don't show favoritism. Don't be unwilling to hold accountable those you love the most. Right? And to those you are okay with, you're willing to hold them accountable. You want people to overlook your sins, but you don't want to look others or their weaknesses or even their trials. 
This is what James means when he calls us brethren. Community. What's common to us. Because when he talks about this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He's talking about all of us at one time. He's not saying that when the Neubauer family or, or the Perkins family or the, or the Ezell family. He said, no, when you fall into these various trials. You collect God's people. When you fall into these trials, what must you do? You need to learn how to discern and consider. Think about it. You need wisdom. How do I respond to this this trial? How do I respond to this weakness? How do I respond to this this temptation that God has just put in front of me? I'm tempted to be angry. I'm tempted to be sinful. I'm tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted to be, I mean, vengeful. How do I respond to it? How should I consider it? How do I recover from it? How do I repent of it? How do I seek God's face? What do I ask for? He says, right, ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Why do we need wisdom? Because we've got to make decisions. We've got to make choices. We've got to choose something. You can't be neutral. You've got to choose righteousness or you can just stay in your unrighteousness. But you've got to make choices. Life is full of choices. It's one thing about the servant. Nobody forces the bond servant to make the choice. He makes the choice on his own. Nobody, listen to me, and you young people. No one forces the young person to come to the Lord's table. It's got to be something you want. It's got to be something you want to do. It's got to be something you desire. Yes, you were baptized without permission by God's commandment. Your children, we are to bring our children before the Lord. We are to commit our children to the Lord. And they are baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. They are given to Him. They are His heritage. They are His seed. And they are to grow up in the spiritual admonition and and faithfulness and discipleship and discipline of the church. But there's going to come a day when you must make a decision that I want to follow this God and serve this God and choose this God over myself and the world around me. I want to serve Jesus Christ. And I want to come to the table and I want to commune with Him. Those are choices. Those are decisions. Our lives are full of them. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. See, some people come to the church and they join the church, they get baptized and they take the supper and they think that's it. No, that's the beginning of choices. That's the beginning of choices every day that we must make that's going to display whether or not we are a servant of the true and living God or we serve ourselves or we serve something else, whatever it is. And our wisdom is always on display. Why would I choose that over this? Why this over that? No, brothers and sisters, we ought to we ought to be practitioners of the second table of the moral law, and we ought to love others as we are to love ourselves. We ought to first and foremost make sure that we we are obedient to God's word before we criticize, uh, abuse, or condemn anyone that's not being obedient to God's word. Amen? We have to start there. Consider it.
brothers, all joy. You consider it all joy. Think about it. Contemplate it. Meditate on it. And let's just be frank. The reason many Christians don't do it is because it's hard. We want easy peasy. We want quick and fast. We want that Burger King religious experience. Just pull up to the drive through tell them what you want, and you're out in five minutes. Guess what? True religion doesn't work that way. True religion doesn't work that way. And it's never going to work that way. It never has worked that way. And it never will work that way. True religion is hard work. That's why the Proverbs say, Seek me and you will find me. Seek. Seek Him as of what? As treasure. Digging. Mining. Scratching. Clawing. Up. Uh, uh, digging up the earth, moving rocks out of the way, digging in the ground, uh, bolstering up the ground, you know, uh, 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 securing these mines so you can go down deeper and deeper and deeper and mine, mine the gold and the copper and everything that's in there. Why? Because Jesus, God says, that's how you're going to find me. Well, you put forth the effort, guess what? You find me. Ask and it will be given. Knock and it will be opened, Right? Seek and you shall find. Every bit of that requires effort. You gotta knock. You gotta go up and knock. You gotta seek. You gotta ask. But see, every bit of that presupposes, listen to me, it presupposes you care and you wanna find. And you want to know. You want to know. You know why you ask a question? Because you want to know something. You know why you look for somebody? Because you want to find them. Right? You know why you knock on the door? Because you want them to open it. So you can commune with them. Fellowship with them. Only reason to knock on the door is a fellowship. Lastly, let's close with this. God's Word is the standard by which we are to judge ourselves by and others. James speaks of looking into this law of liberty. If you look there with me at verse 23, it says, If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man that looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself in and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Notice, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Now look up there at verse 12 again. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Notice, notice the blessing is for what? The blessing is for the person that's come under trial and now asked the question, what does God want me to do? 
Now, I'm going to get into trials. This is just the introduction. This is the community of suffering. This is just the, the commonality that we all share. And guess what? I may be going through something. You're going through something. We're all going through something. And, and that is to breed what? Patience, mercy, kindness, understanding. Why? Because we are all faced with these trials and tribulations. And we all should want to be faithful in all that we face. Praying for our brothers and sisters as well. Our motivation as we look at God's Word, as we judge ourselves by God's Word, brothers and sisters, our motivation should be this, that Christ is the head, we are the body in this this community, right? Christ is the head. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to give you some encouragement Verse 17, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore he had to be, he being Christ, had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For once he himself was tempted in all that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I want to motivate you that you know what? The head of the church was tested. He was tried and found faithful. He suffered. And he was faithful in his sufferings so that we could come to him in our sufferings. There's no temptation that has overcome you but that which is common to man that you would what? Take that to Christ and go, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me in this temptation. Look with me at chapter 4. Notice, all right, I'm going to show you, in, in chapter 3, you, there's this theme of unbelief. How unbelief does not yield obedience, but it yields um, it passivity. Unbelief doesn't obey God. It doesn't do anything. Now notice, chapter 4 And he's talking about make sure you don't fall into these same traps and tests that those others had fallen into and been judged unfaithful. Look at verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul. Spirit, joints, marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Now that's, that's a great encouragement. Guess what? Go to the Word of God. You want to know who you are? Go to God's Word, and it will judge you. We don't go to judge the Word. We go to the Word to be judged by it. And will you believe what the Word of God shows you about yourself? If you will, there's a great blessing for you. But there is only condemnation for the one who doesn't receive what the Word says about them. Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, I want to end with this. We have a great motivation to be sympathetic and merciful with one another. 
Guess what? Jesus is that way with us. We don't want to be guilty of the servant that owed the king an innumerable amount of money, an insurmountable amount of money that he could never pay back. And the king said, I'll forgive you of the debt. What did that wicked servant do? That servant went out and began to torture and punish those who owed much less. And the king found out about it. And the king came to that servant and he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you what you could never pay back. And yet you can't forgive those who owe you but little. Brothers and sisters, we are all facing, will face, and are going to face many kinds of trials. And we're going to learn how to walk through those trials as we go through James. But one thing that's incumbent upon us is to remember we are brethren. And we all face these trials. And we all owe it to one another to be patient and kind and merciful and encouraging. Let's point each other to Jesus Christ. Let's be merciful and kind as our Lord and Savior is to us in our trials and weaknesses. Let's be that to others as well. So that we can truly say, wow, look how they love one another. The world would look at the church and say, look how they love one another. I don't think the world can say that now. I don't. I think what the world sees in the church is a bunch of backbiting complainers. May that not be true of us. And if it is, let us repent and seek Christ. Let's pray.